Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good afternoon. We are Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. This week on Radio Gag, we speak about violence interruption with Aisha Seku of Street Corner Resources. Street Corner Resources works in Harlem to speak peace forward and break the cycle of violence, trauma, and retaliation. Our in remembrance, Aiden Wolf, age 10, victim of child abuse. And author Crystal McCreary shares mindfulness from her little yogi deck, techniques for children and youth to process emotional trauma. Love and peace. I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. We take a few minutes here to acknowledge a young man who lost his life to violence, Aiden Wolf. Many thanks to Street Corner Resources for their support in developing this show and to Larry Blackwell for sharing the story and honoring the life of Aiden Wolf. In remembrance of Aiden Wolf, candles and mementos mark a place of remembrance outside of St. Nicholas houses for Aiden Wolf, who died on March 6, 2021. Aiden was 10 years old. His death was caused by brutal beatings sustained over a long period of time and a final severest beating that ended his life. His mother's boyfriend had called 911 and was arrested the day of his death and charged for, with his murder. Aiden's cousin, Jennifer, wrote that Aiden was an intelligent, fun-loving boy with dreams of becoming a, a YouTube gamer who is loved immensely by family and his mother. He was super funny, intelligent, observant, and knowledgeable. I think he was ahead of his years, she said. He spoke like a young, articulate man. He wouldn't think he was 10 years old. And we just always had a good time. A lot of laughs, joking. He was just a fun kid. He's the real victim here. And he deserves to have a nice home going. And right now, that's my focus. This really hurts my heart, she says. She has created a GoFundMe to raise money for Aiden's funeral. Being ahead in his class, he was very intelligent. He was into gaming, reading, and technology. He figured out the Wi-Fi. Something went wrong in the house, and he was like, I can fix it, cousin. She had seen Aiden around the holidays and spoke to his mother a few weeks ago. I've never seen a bruise, a scratch on him, his cousin said. They were always together, inseparable, and she was very protective of him. She was a good mom. I don't understand what happened or went wrong. At a rally for Aiden to raise community awareness, neighbors spoke about his death. These walls are thin enough to where you can hear a child being beaten. You think it's not your business when it really is your business, an activist said. It takes a village to raise a child, but the village failed. Aiden Wolf, we remember you.
thank you again to Street Corner Resources and to Kareem, Jean, Larry Blackwell, and everyone who worked together to make this show happen. Listeners, the New York State budget, currently being debated in Albany, dedicates at least $10 million from New York's federally funded Victims of Crime Act funding to hospital-based violence intervention programs and community-based violence interruption programs. These programs provide a credible non-police response to gun violence and have a remarkable track record of success in the most vulnerable communities. Radio Gag wants to thank State Senator Zelnor Myrie and a network of gun violence prevention groups for pushing this funding and making our communities safer. Listeners, we are so excited to welcome Aisha Saku. It's such a gift to have you back again and to learn how your programs are just thriving and blooming. So thank you so much for being with us today. So thank you for for having me here. We are so blessed. Can you give us some context about how you got into this work? You know... I didn't know I was an activist. That's the biggest secret. (laughs) Because I come from an activist mom. It was just what we did. You know, my mother, she ran a daycare and it was a federally funded daycare uh, in the Bronx. But she also did these protests with the women who would bring their children to the daycare. The women were struggling. Women were really being treated bad on public assistance at that time. And it took me to become an adult to look back and see where activism came from. I just want to say that. But I remember the protests at uh, welfare centers. She would have us make these signs and they put chains on the on the doors of the welfare center and all kinds of stuff, right? You know, people were doing the acting up thing. And she was a big part of it. And she would tell us, give us these cardboard pieces of paper and tell us what to write uh, on it. And then we'd give them out to people who were coming to protest. And and so we would give them to people. And we felt kind of like strong that we were like at the leader of this, you know. And so I have those memories. So I think activism has just been in my blood. Even though I was doing some things in my own community here in Harlem on 136th Street, I always had young people. I had an eight-foot regulation pool table in my house. We had all kinds of games. Kids was all, were always there because I only have one, one birth child. And so I was doing that, but I felt like that wasn't enough. That was just kind of natural. Everybody, all the kids hung out at my house and on the stoop. That I just needed to do more and make a greater impact, like to be able to touch and help young people before um, we see a shooting. For me, this work is more about prevention rather than just showing up and screaming into a megaphone when a child loses life. We got to be better than that. We can get in front of this violence. This is, is, it's a job and it's not easy. And I think the longer we let it linger, the worse and more difficult it becomes. When we begin to address the core issues that lead to violence like mental health, like poverty, like uh, schools that are not really educating our children and and providing a a place of comfort and a place where they can go see a guidance counselor when they are having issues at home. Because all of these different 
problems at home, not having eviction, incarceration of the father. All of those things lead to a kid that's very angry. A young person is very angry. It leads to a place where violence can begin to brew. So long before we see the trigger pulled, the trigger is, is being pulled slow. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun show, here on listener-sponsored commercial-free radio, WBAI 99.5 FM. We are here every Tuesday afternoon at 2.30 p.m., bringing you the latest from the gun violence prevention movement. Gays Against Guns is urging our listeners to keep free speech radio alive by rushing a tax-deductible donation to WBAI 99.5 FM. Later on in our show, we're offering a premium gift called The Little Yogi Deck by Crystal McCreary to the first five listeners who contribute $25 or more to become a WBAI member. And now, back to Aisha Seku. So uh, Street Corner Resources is very proud to be in partnership with Harlem Hospital right here in central Harlem. Uh, that The hospital is led by Ebony Carrington, who is doing an excellent job of bringing the community and the hospital closer together. So what we do at Harlem Hospital is whenever there is a brutal beating, shooting, stabbing, act of violence, jumping, at times we have taken our counselor over to the hospital as well. So we show up and we respond to make sure that there is no retaliation. And so that means we have to stay there. We have to do what the kids call air hustle and listen to what uh, the family members, especially some of the younger family members are saying about the, you know, because they have a person in their family who's a victim in the hospital of probably a very brutal shooting or beating or may have even lost life. And we don't want them to go back out and take someone else's life to retaliate. One, oftentimes it's not the person who actually committed the act. It's like a lot of hearsay in the beginning. When the dust settles, you find out that the person who they thought committed the act may not even be the person. So they'll go out and hurt the wrong person. But we don't want anyone hurt. So what we do at the hospital is have an opportunity to hang out, stay there while the family is gathered and they, or either they're grieving or we're in the grief room. We get a chance to engage and talk with them and actually begin to talk the violence down. And I'll give you an example real quick. We had gotten a call that there was a young man on 124th Street shot in his neck and that the police were trying to apply pressure. Big shout out to the 2-8 precinct because they did a good job trying to save this young man's life. They continued to bring him on to Harlem Hospital uh, where he was brought in into the trauma unit. We were already waiting for him to arrive. We watched the doctors at Harlem Hospital do a phenomenal job of trying to save his life. Uh, they did re regain a heartbeat and it was only for seconds, and then he passed. Our concern was, right, and this is what we go through. So you can feel it, right? Of course. And that's why sometimes we have to tell these stories so that people hear what went on in the backdrop, not just on the news, a kid died today, and it's a two-minute news report or a 60-second news report. But in real life, this is what happens. So the doctor comes out of the uh, the trauma room where they had been working on this young man, 
and we could see them a little bit through the the curtain. And so I saw that they were doing everything that they could. They were giving them blood. They were just moving fast, just doing different things, tubes and everything. Anyway, he lost life and the doctor comes out. When you see them take the gloves off, you know it's over. I ask people to act in the way that is good for them while we are in the wait. So if what you do is pray, pray. If there is some positive affirmation to, you know, call his uh, spirit and, you know, forward, whatever it is, do what you do quietly. You know, we ask people to do that, right? And so people were doing that. Even the nurses were saying to us, everybody just please just. So anyway, he lost life. And the doctor asked me, he said, I need you to come into the uh, grief room uh, where the parents and family had gathered. That's a room you really don't want to go in because you meet the mother who birthed this child, who nourished this child, who uh, taught this child almost everything he knows in his first what, 10 years of life or whatever, right? And the mother's in there. And I had to talk with the mom. And uh, the, while the doctor, I had to stand with next to the mom while the doctor told her that her son died. Then I look up near the door after I had passed the door and I'm standing next to the mom. And there's this man there that I know. And he has tears in his eyes. And that was his son. And so what happens in a place like Harlem and other uh, cities and boroughs and, you know, villages across this country, that when you're in the village, nine times out of 10, you're going to know that person, that family, some family member. And that's what happens most of the time. You wind up knowing the family. And this man was very, very hurt that his son was killed the way he was killed. And, uh, you know, we had to do some talking about that. And he was talking about what he would want to do. And I was talking to him about what he's not going to do. And it meant that throughout the night and the next day and the next night, because I knew him, I stayed on the phone with him back and forth. I made some phone calls for people to check in with him. I called everybody I knew that knew him, you know, and, um, we didn't have another life loss because wow. it's about saving the next yeah. life. And he came in this office, I would say about a month ago. And he told that story to me because this, this happened during the pandemic. And you know what he said? He said, Aisha, I need to say thank you. He said, because I was very angry, very, very angry. And I wanted somebody else to be hurt. And he said, I know I wasn't so nice or any of that. And that um, I want to say thank you for stopping me from taking somebody else's life. I know they're pulling on your coattails. They are. It's a lot going on. (laughs) Well, um, why don't we close up with us how we can support Street Corner Resources, because I recently learned that the gun lobby outspends the gun violence prevention movement by something like 10 to 1. Organizations like Street Corner Resources uh, need more funding. We need to have adequate resources so that we can help our community and our young people 
enhance their lives and stay away from violence. Oftentimes people are pushed into violence because they don't have resources and they begin to do other things that those things lead them to violence. We're looking uh, to purchase a building where we can bring in more young people. So we need support and help with that. We need the big box companies that are making all of this money off of our young people, sneaker companies, sportswear companies, uh, big bankers. We need them to donate to Street Corner Resources. They can do that by going on our website or contacting us at Street Corner Res on Instagram. Uh, like us on Facebook, for, especially for bigger donors. They should call our office at 212-694-8759. 212-694-8759. And of course, we're on Twitter. So we're on Instagram at Street Corner Res. Facebook at Street Corner Res. All platforms at Street Corner Res. 212-694-8759. And I would say overall in the city, uh, we have uh, the crisis management system. We have the, which is the Cure Violence family. Uh, and it's easy uh, for them to contact the mayor's office to prevent gun violence and see how they can support. Street Corner Resources welcomes uh, support because we would like to have sustainability. We are not a very large organization, but we're doing a large amount of work. We welcome donations. We welcome support. And of course, if there's anyone out there that's listening that want to support us in our effort to uh, purchase a building, we definitely like to talk with them. Okay. And we'd like to talk with everyone. We need help with our young people. Some need uh, support with uh, school and tutors and that kind of thing. So feel free to call us at 212-694-8759. Our email is scrcureviolence at gmail.com. And I'll just tell you real quick about the Peace Cafe. We are so excited, particularly during this time of COVID, that we are able to provide a, a platform, a stage, a virtual stage now for people in our community, young, older, seasoned, uh, people who can sing, some people who can't sing. But we allow everybody to join us, play an instrument, dancing, talk, or just be a viewer who claps at the end of a performance because that fills the spirit of the person who takes the risk to perform. But it's really nice. It's, I, I'll tell you, we have a son and a father who, the son and father are both home quarantined together and they sing gospel songs. They're getting better and better each time. But you know what I know? That we're providing a place for that son and father to do something together. And now we're seeing people from across the country since we're virtual, uh, coming on and performing. So if anyone's interested in performing at the Peace Cafe, the next one is the last Friday of this month, April 30th. April 30th, April 30th is the last uh, Friday of the month. That's our Peace Cafe. You can call 212-694-8759 to get yourself on the list to perform, read your book, dance, act, play your piano, uh, so we just are doing a call for talent. So just come on and get on our virtual stage and hang out with us April 30th. Awesome. And you better be listening, McKinney <laughs> Theater students, because you know Mrs. Lily is going to give you credit. If you yes, show up. that would be nice. Yes. <laughs> it's so great. It's yes. so great. Thank you so much, Aisha Sekou of Street Corner Resources for your wonderful work and for being back on Radio Gag to tell us about how we can save lives and build communities. 
Thank you so much for having me. Uh, You warmed my heart this part of the morning. So I'm good to go for the rest of the day. Thank you so much. Great. Such an inspiration. Right now, Radio Gag has a special premium when you become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. When you become a BAI buddy tonight for $25 or more, we will send you a copy of the Little Yogi Deck. Welcome to our interview with author Crystal McCreary. She has written a book that is really a deck of activities that's called the Little Yogi Deck. Crystal, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure, Sarah. I'm very excited to be here and and chat with you today. Why did you decide to make this lovely deck of mindfulness exercises? Well, many years ago when I started teaching elementary school, I really felt challenged by some of the larger emotional experiences that my kids were having in my classroom that, quite frankly, were huge obstacles to learning. And one of the things that I noticed immediately was if I didn't support my students to soothe that emotional experience or become aware of it, or if I didn't support them to take care of themselves, that emotional experience was going to completely derail their learning experience and and potentially the entire classroom (laughs) from learning. That said, fast forward many years later, when I was offered a role in a school to be a yoga and meditation teacher, I leapt at the chance because I, at that point, I had been practicing yoga myself for a very long time. And it was a skill that was definitely in my toy chest of resources for resiliency as an educator. But I had also started to kind of, you know, weave it into my classes when I taught young people. And I noticed immediately that just paying attention to what a child felt, whether it was joy, excitement, right? So on the sort of positive end of the emotional spectrum, or whether it was on the negative or maybe a more unpleasant or uncomfortable end of the emotional spectrum, just becoming aware and attentive to the emotion had the impact of helping kids pause, right? And if you can change your state, you can change your thoughts. You can change your thoughts, you can change your words, you can change your words, you can change your actions, right? So it has the rippling effect of being more skillful about who we show up to be. Thank you so much, Crystal. And I already have been learning from you. I've begun to ask my students to take a breath, breathe in, breathe out. After breathing, notice how you feel. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Crystal McCreary, for bringing us some peace and mindfulness in this moment for this wonderful set of activities that you've given us for mindfulness called the Little Yogi Deck. And listeners, for a contribution of $25 today, you can receive as a premium a copy of the Little Yogi Deck. So please call WBAI. Go to give to WBAI.org and receive a copy of the Little Yogi Deck by Crystal McCreary. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Sarah.
back. Go to give numeral two WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. That's give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. For a donation of $25 or more, you can support Free Speech Radio and you can receive a copy of the Little Yogi Deck to help young ones learn skills with big emotions. Go to WBAI.org, go to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. To find out more about becoming a member of GAG, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns New York on Facebook and Instagram and Gag No Guns on Twitter. For more information about how to attend member meetings, check us out on our social media platforms. Our next meeting is Thursday, April 15th at 7 p.m. Join us.